the way my mind thinks is not just in signs or English words and sentences, but in images and a flow of feeling that I imagine resembles the music I've never heard. There's so many beautiful quotes in this describing life in general and not even just about deaf culture, but yeah, I, I really, that really, that really touched the heart uh, of this, of this human here. She grabs you. <laughs> it, it was really good. Surprisingly. I was, I was, wow. I was shocked too. Like it's, it's a very much a slice of life style at the, at the beginning. And then something happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, tur- it takes a turn. <laughs> A sharp right turn. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brooks. I'm a filmmaker and composer based in North Middle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, today, Dustin and I will be taking a look at the 2020 middle grade book, Show Me a Sign by Anne Claire Lazat. Coming up next. Where's that music yeah. coming from? So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, cause Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Welcome to Dustin Can Read, where today we're going to become a little more socially aware and we're going to talk about a subject matter and something I think doesn't discussed enough, the deaf and hard of hearing. Now with me today is Brooks Leiby. Brooks is a filmmaker and a composer and a photographer, and you may actually know him from his music compositions from my three-part story special, The Listener where he created this great modern gothic sound, and it was just spectacular. If you want to hear more from him, you need to go to SoundCloud. You're hearing people. You need to go to SoundCloud and listen to his stuff. Um, It's just it's really good stuff. So I commend you on that, Brooks. Great job. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) In this episode, Brooks and I read the 2020 multi-award winning middle grade novel, Show Me a Sign by Anne-Claire Lazat. Um, Lazat is a deaf and bilingual author and a librarian who, like me, is part of the queer community, and she identifies as a cisgender lesbian. This is all from her Twitter page, by the way. And she definitely has her foot in many different communities. (laughs) Many different communities. So to begin, uh, the reason this book appealed to me from the moment I saw it is because I actually used to work with the deaf and hard of hearing as a relay operator. Now, do you know what that is, Brooks? Not a first hand, no, sir. Okay, I will let you know what that is. For those of you who do not know, and for the hearing people who do not know, um, I'm not sure how it works today, but 15 years ago or so, uh, before the internet really took over, and before mobile text messaging really became a thing, um, people in the deaf and hard of hearing community would use a TTY, which is called a text telephone. It kind of looks like an electronic typewriter and they would put like a phone receiver on top of it and they'd be able to dial 711 and reach a relay operator. Um, Now, a relay operator is someone that would connect them to anybody else and who would actually listen for their for them, be their ears and their voice. So they would type what they wanted to say to somebody and the relay operator would say the message and then type back the response including any background sounds or the person's tone of voice, like the person sounded angry or happy or confused or anything like that. So that's what I did. I I did that for about three years. And um, 
it was a really interesting experience and I learned a lot about the deaf community and we, we learned a lot in our training and um, it was really, really cool. And I, I really kind of grew to respect them even more so from this experience that I had. That is awesome. Yeah. Do you have any questions about it? Gosh, I mean, you were pretty descriptive. Uh, no, that's that, that's just really cool. Actually, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing, but it makes sense that that would exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed it for the most part because, you know, like I said, I got to learn a lot about different people and I actually got to kind of hone some acting skills. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you mm -hmm. had to learn how to, you know, read it as you thought the person was trying to say it. And uh, oftentimes they could tell you, hey, sound excited. They could give you instructions on how to speak just so that, you know, you would, you know, represent them accordingly. Um, another thing I really liked is that it actually, it made my typing skills even better because I went in barely, you had to like be able to type at least 50 <laughs> words a minute. Right. And I could barely reach it, but I made it just barely to qualify to get the job. And by the time I left, I was typing up like 75 words a minute. So nice. it was, I know. So I'm like, I'm a, I'm a speed demon on, on the typewriter now. Good stuff. You're on a typewriter then? Well, you know, it was, a, it was a, it was a computer, but I meant, you know, it's <laughs> typing in general, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I learned what about was Gallaudet University, which is mentioned in the book a little bit at the end, but Gallaudet University was founded in 1864 by a um, declaration by President Abraham Lincoln. And today, according to um, the uh, linguistic department at Harvard University's website, it's still one of the most like established liberal arts colleges for the deaf and hard of hearing. And it's in Washington, D.C., I believe. So it's a really cool thing. I didn't know it existed until I got that job. And I thought, wow, you know, there's a lot of things that I understand and a lot of things that come up in this book that I thought, yep, that's what I learned. Yep, I that's true. I, I get that. And it was just really cool to be able to, I don't know, relate something that I learned a while back and, you know, kind of refresh my mind a little bit. Yeah, that is cool. Even as this, like, there's a, a storyteller character named Ezra Miller who's in it, and he even recounts the settlement of her, of Mary's great-great-grandfather, Jonathan Lambert, in 1692 where he bought land for real cheap <laughs> and uh, called it Lambert's Cove. And that's a real place. It's there. You can go there. Um, you can look it up. There's an inn and everything. Um, Ezra also tells her that the first deaf senators on the vineyard are from Kent, England, which um, actually the Weald, which is AKA Woodlands. And um, that's a lot of the characters, families from this book come from that area. Um, but many of them were born deaf there and they basically came over and they kind of brought that with them, I guess. But no one knows why the deaf gene stuck around. They even they had like their own, it was like their own universal sign language right. on that island. Martha's Vineyard sign language. Yeah, it wasn't like traditionally SL. It was like, it like predated. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. Um, that, that stuck around for quite a while. It stuck around to like the 50s, I think, when the last person who knew the sign language died. Um, so then basically ASL American sign language took over. Took over. Yeah. So, um, but it's still, you know, that's the reason why I learned some things like, um, that she tried to guess at the end of the book, she says, like, basically she was like, all right, well, I use some of the, um, some of yeah, this type summary. of sign language and mm -hmm. some of this and kind of try to guess what, the, you know, what kind of signs mm -hmm. they were and which, you know, kind of seems accurate though. Yeah. You know what I mean, like she mentioned home sign. Yes. That's basically like, um, 
when you basically when you're growing up, let's say you're the only deaf person in your family and your mm-hmm. family doesn't know sign language, but they make up their own signs. Their own little, yeah, that's really cool. And and some of them might be on the mark as far as, you know, what the sign language is. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's kind of interesting how, you know, a lot of kids didn't grow up in a deaf household and, you know, they're deaf themselves and they don't learn ASL until later in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, it's basically, it's a second language. ASL is a completely second language, you know, and, and that's American sign language. Every country has their own their sign own. language. Right. And some of them might be similar, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it's pretty cool. You know, um, it's, you know, for a hearing person to know sign language, that would be kind of like a secret language that yeah. most people would not know. <laughs> like you know? Nancy has, Nancy, uh, uh, Mary's best friend character. She has like, she always has a little trick up her sleeve because her parents are, her parents are deaf. Yes. And she's and she, here. She's born hearing. Yeah. So she's like, but I got this up my sleeve. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing behind my back. <laughs> but like I was saying, yeah, the Martha's Vineyard sign language, it was used in the 18th century till the 1950s. Um, but I wanted to know what the cover art was. What 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 was she saying in this what is cover that sign? art? Right. Which well, reading I initially, because they really, pay, they she emphasized whenever someone would say I as a sign. So in my brain, I was like, oh, that's probably what the cover sign is, but probably <laughs> actually. Isn't. So um, the cover art is kind of more based off of ASL from what I understand, because on Goodreads and um, and Claire Lazat, I read some of her answering some questions for people. And um, she basically says that this could be either the start of the sign for family oh. or it's actually the start of the sign for interpret. Hmm. So either one kind of makes sense. Oh, for this book, Yeah. You know. I thought that was really neat to know. Yeah, that's awesome. Double meaning. So at the very start of the book, we get this cool opening quote, and it is, The deaf are everywhere. They existed before you spoke of them and before you saw them. And that's from Laurent Clerc, which is a deaf Frenchman and the first deaf teacher in America. He's mentioned in the book later on, too. We start in November of 1805. Let's, you know, let's make sure to state the year of our Lord. <laughs> and then to, before 1805 to indicate this takes place in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of a basic trope of literature or movies or whatever. You kind of right. have to do that. Mm-hmm. The deaf and hard of hearing citizens of Martha's Vineyard, specifically the town of Chilmark, live harmoniously, as observed by young Mary Lambert, an 11-year-old narrator, whose family spans back many generations on the island. Mary is an imaginative girl who's always telling herself stories. Some are delightful and some are a bit darker. She's very intelligent because she's encouraged by her father and her school teacher to continue on with this, even though her mother kind of doesn't like it. She thinks she's fanciful and, you know, should be practical. She notes that most of the hearing in Chilmark know sign language, often using it with each other since it is, you know, it's very prevalent in the area. They're honest people and they're hardworking. Sure, there are disputes of which land belongs to them and which belongs to the natives in the area, the Wampanoag. Um, But, you know, there's other concerns of the era as well, but mostly it's working class people farming, fishing, and living life to their fullest as usual. This is until the locals encounter Andrew Noble, a young scientist. I say that in quotations for a reason. (laughs) from Boston, who is determined to get to the bottom of the high population of deafness in Martha's Vineyard, 
specifically Chilmark, where one in four are deaf. Or he, as he would call it, deaf and dumb, which is so freaking absurd. That caught know. me off guard whenever that was quoted. <laughs> I know, and it said a lot. And it's but the thing is, that's that's not something that went away. That's yeah. still that was it's probably still prevalent today. But it's more, mm-hmm. you know, until recently, it was said a lot. And I think it was just right. a horrible thing to say. I enjoyed. If anybody the... knows who Helen Keller is, she's blind and deaf, or right. was. She was not dumb. <laughs> she right. was a brilliant writer. Yeah, and just a you know smart lady. So. Mm-hmm. You, you, I don't understand how people can think that way. But that's, I enjoyed yeah. the, like, the 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 use of the phrase in the, in the sense that like it, it is jarring to the reader, but it's also jarring to the character whenever it's mentioned. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, which you know presented like that, then that sense of normalcy keeps on getting stripped away once once we're with the Andrew character and and all the 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 latter half of the book. Or even like you know, like sprinklings throughout throughout the beginning. It like they talk about that mainly from the mainland, mm-hmm. uh, with, when mentioning the the deaf and dumb or dumb and dumb and deaf. It's yeah, it really just peels back that 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 veil that's kind of it on, evokes on, a on response Mary. for sure. Exactly. Well, not veil, but it's yeah, exactly. It's it, it's it's really unsettling once it gets into that perspective. <laughs> it does. It is. It is very unsettling. So. Andrew Noble, which I think is ironic that his last name is Noble, and that's probably yeah. why she chose that. I thought the same thing while writing notes. <laughs> he is like, anything oh. but Noble. <laughs> um, he sticks his nef- his yeah, he sticks his nose up to the deaf citizens, like he thinks of them as deaf and dumb, mm-hmm. and he chooses mainly to interact with only the hearing citizens. Really, he doesn't even look at the deaf people when they're trying to talk to him or when he's talking back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, he collects data through like soil samples and water samples and intrudes on Mary's family specifically, it seems. Um, something sinister is afoot with him. We learn, we just kind of had that feeling when he shows up, there's something yeah. not right about him. And she even notes that, you know, usually strangers on the island are not met with like kindness, right. unless they're somebody's family member or they're sponsored by somebody, which he's sponsored mm-hmm. by the Reverend Lee, who brings him in because Reverend Lee went to seminary school or whatever um, with his father. Anyway, so like I said, something sinister is afoot with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary finds a letter to Andrew from a professor or, or, or somebody that says that he needs to, you know, collect samples and find out what's going on with these people's affliction or infirmity, as he says it. And um, but then it also says acquire a live specimen if possible, which you if you could figure <laughs> out foreshadowing. This is not a good sign ah. <laughs> for the characters. So, were you as surprised as I was that the events happened in this book the way they did, and that it was maybe based in reality that stuff like this happened at that time, and Absolutely. specifically on this island? Like eighteen hundreds or anything, but you know, like anything that happens in in that time frame usually in in book form i don't read many books but even just in in media like watching movies or television series it, it's usually very jarring that you know it's it's like we're living on this farm and it's lovely and then all of a sudden you know death. racial tensions prejudice <laughs> of some sort sexism all and of like, that how did we come too. from this yes like and, and and the attention on, on dialogue and, and descriptors throughout the books, too. Like, it literally, it just being set in the 18, 1800s, early 1800s, too. 
uh, it really set set a stage, and it's it is literally it's just running with <laughs> that in every description. So whenever something like that uh, that that contrast of like life and then uh, uh, something contradictory to what's like modernly or in the modern world. Yeah, not seen I as a normal. Well, let's talk about that. Like this yeah. basic, like segregated culture, basically. Mm-hmm. So on this island, it seems that the hearing and the deaf pretty much live harmoniously on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, most hearing people, know sign language for the deaf to speak mm-hmm. to, and um, but there's still this divide in the subject of race, mm-hmm. specifically native uh, Wampanoags and Black freedmen, mm-hmm. and even the Irish. Yeah. Which you know I'm. I'm ba- I'm mainly Irish descent. I don't know about you. You got the red hair. You could be Irish or Scottish, but you know it's hard to tell. Like I wish there was it. Yeah, it's mixed bag. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still like surprised even today that like uh, not long ago, like the Irish were named mix. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like a slander. You know, uh, yeah. uh, just um, against the Irish. It was and, like you know, I guess it's colonial of- Englishmen, Irish freedmen, and then natives. Right. Which is the, so the, the very, acceptance levels, yeah, yeah. It's very, very odd, very strange. Who's <laughs> higher up on the on the hierarchy? I guess you could say, yeah, all of it. Well, it's here's so a quote odd. from the book: In our town, the Irish are seen as inferior to the English, but superior to the freedmen. Papa pays these ideas no heed and stubbornly hires both when others will not. I used to be embarrassed when our neighbors commented on Papa's radical notions, but George's death has opened my eyes to a new ways of thinking. George being her brother. I appreciated the conversations that Mary would have with Thomas, the, the black freedman who worked yeah. on their farm mm-hmm. um, because he, she does that early on. And he explains the Wampan. He's married to a Wampanoag uh, mm-hmm. native lady. And um, they basically have accepted him as part of their tribe and a part of their ancestry and culture mm-hmm. because spiritually he is part of them now. And the same for his daughter, who is now mixed, basically. Right. Um, I think of this like horrible history of slavery wiping away the black man's and black woman's ancestry. Like they can't trace it back, even through like eHarmony or not eHarmony. Ancestry.com. Whoops. Slip. Not sponsored. But you know what I mean? Like even yeah. through something like that, it's hard for them to trace back. They can see where they came from, maybe, you yeah. know, the area that's possibly where they're from, but the, still the history is probably not as accurate. And it's all tarnished um, because of colonialism. Exactly. And I mean, you know, there's only like a small portion they can trace back to, and it's mm-hmm. usually to slavery days, you know, yeah. and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And it's muddled down with like, you know, slave owners mixing with their, their slaves and, you know, yeah. so they might get that much. They make it back, back to Europe that way as mm-hmm. far as like from, from the colonial side of it all. But mm-hmm. I may not know everything there's a know about my ancestors, but at least I know that I can look it up and right. I can find it and trace it back for the most part, you know, you and that's that something privilege. I take for granted. I think yeah. a lot of people do take for granted. Can you oh, trace back anything for you? Show. I haven't tried, but you know, like <laughs> it seems like, it seems like that's kind of, an obvious privilege that you know 
Exactly. It is a privilege. It is such a privilege. And that's like yeah. white privilege right there. There's a definition for it right there. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can look stuff back, back that you can't. Our ancestry. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of families that aren't even documented. Like I worked on a project locally in the Georgetown area that uh, focused on the Gullah Geechee population. Um, there's like, a, there's an Island literally this here called Sandy Island that it's its own populace. And uh, there are like, there are paper records there that were documented through um through a press at, at a coastal carolina university and they tried as far as they could to trace back where they're from and it's all the way to when those families were brought to the new world yeah like, and, it, and that's, that's as far it. as it goes yeah like they didn't have names they, they were pretty much like numbers you know exactly you're just like uh whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and like like Martha's Vineyard sign language, Gullah Geechee is its own language built from from that kind of from that culture from being brought here, building up a secret language or uh, there's another word for it. But um, yeah, I found that interesting. Like I would think back to that while reading uh, and looking up like exactly like the the differentiation between ASL home sign and and MVSL. This is that's what that's the acronym. I love this aspect of like learning from fiction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it makes it so much easier to take. And I think they need to really push that more on kids. Like instead of just like in 18, you know, 92, you know, Columbus sailed the, or 1792. <laughs> 1892. Well, <laughs> or was it 1690? What was this? 1492. Damn. I don't know. my. See, I don't learn. Alternative <laughs> history. Now I can learn from fiction. <laughs> You try to drill, drill dates no, in my head. I, I agree. I agree. Like in in grade school, um, being shown films, uh, Boy in the Striped Pajamas, or even Schindler's List, specifically within like the the subject of the Holocaust, like that. That Life is Beautiful. That's another one. Yeah, it really, it really just presents it. And if if you're not if you're if you're a child that does not want to read, like because you're not just not interested, if like hell even things like x-men with magneto you know you see just a little glimpse of it but it's something that it's so fantastical to watch but you see something that's actually real inside of it like this comes from something real you know what i mean the struggle that this guy has and so you Mm -hmm. kind of understand it a little more from that Mm -hmm. and i think that even just putting something in the middle of fantasy is is smart because it makes somebody curious like is that real Did that stuff really happen and maybe they might look into it further Mm mm-hmm you know, did you notice how certain other characters treated others in the books or anything like anything that really stood out to you as far as like uh, prejudices or whatnot? Oh, yeah. The The main thing that really stood out to me was the descriptor between uh, the deaf and the hearing. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I also was like, I was very surprised to learn that the Reverend Lee was so anti-slavery mm-hmm. after having slaves himself at one point until they freed um, slaves in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which was not long before this starts. Mm-hmm. And he's so anti, he's so outspoken about it now. And I thought that was very interesting how, especially a religious figure in that time yeah. when religions historically use controversial topics to, I don't know, I, I hate to say that, but, to 
mold people's minds the way they want them to, you know, and the fact that this guy, Reverend Lee, was actually trying to be a good person throughout the whole thing. He was just, you know, a God fearing Christian or whatever you want to call it. Right. <laughs> but um, he he was still not as close minded as I thought he would be. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I love that this was historical fiction. And but the thing was, a lot of the stuff that happens in it, it's kind of I want to weigh Do you think the aspects of this could count as like basically a horror story? Oh, absolutely. Whenever grotesque things happen, it's descriptive. It is very descriptive. <laughs> and I was surprised this is considered a middle grade book for some of the stuff that happens in this book. Oh, I read some crazy stuff in middle and high school. You never know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Steve you know what I mean? Books? Like usually middle grade, you think goosebumps, you think babysitters club, you think, yeah. you know, but you don't think of something like this, this deep, heavy story, you know, it, I specifically really... remember from, from a goosebumps book, the one with the blob, like a kid gets straight Monster up blood. digested. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's I know. very, very <laughs> grotesque, <laughs> but that's all kind of done in a humorous way at the same time. You yeah. Know? Like it's, it's cartoony, but at the same time, like that, that stuck with me. I haven't touched that book or thought of it, frankly, for like at least five years. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think is your favorite character in this book? I think we can both agree that Andrew Noble is pretty much our, our least favorite character in this book. <laughs> he, yeah, he's, he's interesting because he's an asshole. <laughs> He is a very despicable human being, and I and I like that Mary's perspective of of Andrew was pure curiosity. At Why first. is he like this? Yeah, yeah. she's. I and then what's wrong with him? The closer the interactions become, I mean, there's one interaction later in the book uh, that's just very stalker-ish, <laughs> and. That's whenever I think that's like the huge shift, really, for him. He he becomes a menace. Oh, he's horrible. And Real there's quick. other people later on in the book who finally start saying, "Yeah, he's he's not right in the head." <laughs> there's something off, something very off. And the, and uh, how uh, Lazat describes his mannerisms throughout the entire thing, it all it all makes sense <laughs> once once his true colors show, like. He's a very odd human. He's a very, yeah. I, I mean, he's just despicable. He's a despicable human. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But other than that, who is your favorite? Do you think? I really enjoy Mary, which is kind of like, you know, she's the main character. Of course, you're going to like her. I think she's, she's, she's very late. I related to her a lot because I'm also a lucid daydreamer <laughs> and I, I often come up with ridiculous stories in my head and as a kid growing up that was that was usually something i would like you know what everyone did like on the bus ride home from school you'd watch the dude who's running by running by on the streets or like jumping over cars What's his story yeah it's like oh there he is hey Look at him go. What's he running from that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, i would also tell myself stories to go to bed i still kind of do it yeah you know what i mean to help myself go to sleep i just kind of <laughs> like all right i want to know what it's usually about myself, like things I would want to happen or what if this mm -hmm. scenario happened and how would I turn it around or something yeah. like that? And I would just let myself drift off into sleep. Mm -hmm. That's so I really connect with her too. And I really appreciated her, her lack of bias. Like she was always, she, she's, she's such a friendly person and, uh, 
watching her having to go through what she has to go through later in the book or even early on in the book like it, it really adds so much dimension to her character because she is so sweet and she's just living her best life throughout the beginning of the book and then that shift happens and then she gets she, she learns some life <laughs> she got some learning that's for sure oh gosh I would say my other i would agree with you on that because i connected so much with her Ooh, ezra brewer as well that's what i was about to say ezra brewer it's like we cannot the, not mention ezra brewer <laughs> oh my gosh he is just such a cool character yes such a uh, he's almost an imbecile in a way yeah because he's a drunk basically he's a, he's, he's like her obi-wan in a yeah, new and he's kind of like a Hagrid type character in a way. Yeah. Kind of rough, you know. Mm -hmm. But he he's such a gentle soul, even though he has that rough outer shell. Yeah. He loves this little girl and he mm -hmm. loves talking to her and telling her stories and she loves listening to it. She's just yeah. fascinated by him. And I love that the father, her father Edward, was very much like, you know, yeah, go on down to Ezra Brewer's house. At first I thought when she mentions Ezra Brewer, I'm like, oh, he's like a teenager. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. He's an old man. He's an old, he's an old guy. Yeah. And he is not a clean man. He's very much a dirty person. Doesn't clean himself very well. Doesn't wear new, you know, clean clothes. Oh, he's yeah. just got a, his house is just filthy, you know, but she just is fascinated. Her mother does not like him <laughs> with, you know, much mo I think many mothers would not like this type of person even today. Because you're like, oh, I don't want you to be like this guy, but he's just a good person. And that's what don't go hanging out with that him. old drunkard again. <laughs> It's just, I love this. Like, there's this one part. She's like, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> one thing I don't, I don't, I've never understood that phrase. Mm -hmm. It sounds like fake superstition to me. Like yeah. when my mom would tell me, oh, don't put your hat on the bed because that brings bad luck. I'm like, right. what? That doesn't make any sense. Why would that yeah. bring bad luck? <laughs> and it's like, basically it's cleanliness is preferred because otherwise people won't hang around you, you stinky child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's basically what she should have been saying. Pretty much. The cool thing about this is it actually has a sequel coming out. It's yeah, not really a sequel. It's, it's, a, like, it's like a companion book. novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, called Set Me Free. Mm. And it takes place in Boston. And um, it's apparently Goodreads description says it's the miracle worker meets Jane Eyre. Hmm. So I think it has something to do with the maid that we meet later on. Ah, uh, um, yeah. I'll probably post about it, about the sequel on my socials or something when I see that it's come out. And I'm, hopefully I'll be able to get it because I got this as a library e-read, um, which is great. I'm glad that it was available that way. It needs to be. Um, it's one of the few that are nowadays. There's not as many mm -hmm. library books available. I, I mm -hmm. mean, at least in my area. So if you can donate to your local library, give them books, especially when you've Do already it. read them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's pretty much the end of this discussion. I want to thank you, Brooks, so much for taking the time out to read or listen to the audiobook for this. And I'm I'm glad that, you know, you've learned a little bit more about death culture. And, you know, I'm glad you found it very interesting as well. Mm -hmm. And I even learned a little bit more in the process. I didn't know everything, obviously, but I learned a little bit more. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool that uh, this surprised me that much. Mm -hmm. Same. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, and if you want to reach Brooks, you can find him on Twitter at Brooks underscore Libby or on Instagram at Brooks Libby. I'll have that in the show notes. And I'll also put his SoundCloud information in the show notes as well. So you can check that out because there's some really cool tunes, especially the stuff from the listener. You can hear mm -hmm. the, just the straight up sounds from that. And uh, it's, you know, 
thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. For questions and comments about Show Me a Sign, Brooks Libby, or this episode in general, please reach out to me via Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or on Instagram at Dustin Can Read. You can also reach me via email at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. Also, please rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Us podcasters love feedback, so please be sure to do that. And if you'd like to support me, you can leave me a tip on buymeacoffee.com slash DustinCanRead. So please be sure to check that out. I would be very grateful. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, until next time, Dustin Can Read. Reminds me of a SpongeBob quote. And I do not remember it. <laughs> it's, so, it's something like, yeah, I just hear, I just hear him in my brain going, Cleanliness is something, somethingness. <laughs>